Aloha, everyone. On behalf of Domino's Hawaii, we wanted to take a moment to thank our team members for working through these trying times. And we wanted to thank our community for not just supporting us, but most importantly, supporting each other amid this climate of change and continued uncertainty. It is difficult to fathom some of the recent tragedies that have occurred, but what we can do collectively is aspire to be better for one another. We don't want to disrupt this message by taking time to promote some meaningless special. All that can be found on our website or app. Instead, once again, mahalo for your strength and your character. And we look forward to our very special community here in Hawaii getting back to work and making the world a better place. And with that, let's talk sports. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley, where we discuss Hawaii sports and beyond. Uh, Jordan, how's it going, man? How was your Father's Day weekend? It was good. It was good. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we celebrated uh, my girlfriend's birthday. It was Father's Day the day after uh, the little birthday celebration. So all in all, man, it was a lot of family. Uh, I am very appreciative of that. So uh, yeah, happy Father's Day to my dad. Uh, to your dad and uh, my brother and all the dads out there. Yeah, we are not dads ourselves. Nope. Uh, a hashtag dog dad over here, but that's about it. That's as far as it goes uh, on that front. But uh, yeah, definitely a, a belated happy Father's Day to all of the daddies out there. And that's where we're going to start things off here in this episode, uh, for which we are pretty excited because we're going to be welcoming to the show uh, a guy who goes way back with me, back to the high school days, an Iolani alum, Marcus Fuller, who is now a sports writer for the Star Tribune in the St. Paul, Minneapolis area. He covers basketball, University of Minnesota sports. And so Minneapolis is really the epicenter of where this movement that we are seeing transpire in response to the horrific killing of George Floyd in front of the world. We're going to get Marcus's thoughts on uh, just being so close to where this thing really began and his views on what has transpired, how this has evolved here in recent weeks. So we look forward to that, but we start off with our warm-up and uh, we're going to get into a little Father's Day discussion because with Father's Day being celebrated yesterday, uh, I want to get from you, Jordan, your top father-son combos in sports. We're going to do one tandem sort of on a national scale and then one locally, like one of the, the top father-son combos it can be father-daughter, it doesn't matter, uh, here on the Hawaii front as well. Yeah, I'm going, uh, I'm going the Bonzes when it comes to the national landscape. Maybe a little controversial just because of Barry's background and all of that, but uh, Bobby Bonds, man, he was just the second guy ever to hit 300 home runs, steal 300 bases. Uh, that combination is just freakish, right? And then Barry Bonds, and we know the later years can be tainted by the the steroids. And, and so, I mean, the, the dude was a seven-time MVP. They were all playing on the same field. I mean, they, they weren't the only guy allegedly juicing out there. 14-time All-Star. And I think this is the one as well. We all think of him with all the numbers when it comes to home runs and RBIs and walks even. Uh, but the dude was an eight-time gold glove winner. Like, he had a cannon for an arm. He was that athletic. Uh, so, man, it's, it's kind of hard. to. I know the Griffies would be a popular pick, but I mean, when it comes to the father and son, uh, Bobby and Barry Bonds, man. Yeah, I'm with you. I think on the national level, though, I'm going to switch over to the gridiron and I'm going to go with uh, Archie Manning and Peyton and or Eli. You can kind of tack Eli on, right? It doesn't have to necessarily sure. be a father-son duo. We're talking about combos, so let's throw both of the Manning sons in there. Uh, Archie, of course, was a college football Hall of Famer and number two overall draft pick. Uh, didn't have the team success on the field at the professional level that his sons certainly realized, but four Super Bowls between Peyton and Eli, Peyton with the four MVP awards. Uh, so I go with the Mannings as my number one combo on that scale. All right, let's bring it down now to uh, guys with Hawaii ties. What's your number one combo there? Yeah, I went a little biased. Uh, I went with uh, guys that I know and uh, played a little bit with in high school. I went with the, the Mayavas slash Mahonis. Uh, Uncle Scott Mahoney, who uh, Oahu guy, played at the University of Colorado, played a little bit professionally with the Kansas City Chiefs, played for the Hawaiians in the old world football league. I think a lot of people... Um, of a certain generation will remember the Hawaiians in the old WFL. Uh, Uncle Scotty uh, still looks like he could line up 
uh, in the trenches, uh, by the way. And then, of course, his sons, Kaluka Mayava, who was state player of the year in high school at Baldwin, went on to USC, was terrific, was the Rose Bowl MVP in their Rose Bowl win over the University of Illinois. And then, of course, draft pick to the Browns, spent four years there, finished his career with the Raiders. He's now uh, calling his home uh, on the Big Island. He's the head coach uh, of Hawaii Preps football team, giving back in that way. And then, of course, his younger brother, Kiala Kai, uh, who's one year older than me, played at Colorado for, for a year and then transferred over to UCLA, where he was basically a three-year starter at center there, uh, was all league in Japan. He went and played professionally as well uh, in Japan for the Obik Seagulls, uh, one of my favorite nicknames out there, mascots out there. And then uh, just uh, for a little uh, a little added, I mean, their grandpa was Prince Nefmaiava, the legendary professional wrestler. So I'm going three generations uh, when it comes to my local combo. I'm going to stay in the realm of football again, uh, and I'm going with Charlie and Kale Ane. Uh, Charlie and Kale both played at Punahou. Uh, Charlie eventually played at USC, was drafted as an offensive lineman by my Detroit Lions. No bias here on this pick, though. Two-time pro bowler, two-time NFL champ. This was pre-Super Bowl era, so this is back when the Lions were actually contending for championships and actually racking up championships. He is a member of the Hawaii Sports and USC Athletics halls of fame uh, and went on to coach high school at several stops including right here on Maui at St. Anthony's so a very cool factoid there and then Kale who uh, you and I both know personally was a center who went from Punahou to Michigan State played seven years in the NFL went on to coach and has been an assistant athletics director at Punahou as well so I go with the Anes uh, as uh, as my father-son combo in this particular instance. Pops and, and Kale are, I mean, the resumes are just ridiculous. I mean, quite honestly. Uh, and the, the dudes were just incredible players. Uh, and then you throw the coaching acumen on top of it. Like, it, it's hard to pick against the Anes. And, and I think somebody with Pops's resume coaching at, like, the tiny Catholic school in Wailuku, <laughs> Maui, at St. Anthony for a while, it's, it's still just mind-blowing to me. Like, it, there was a time where he was the head coach at St. Anthony School here on Maui. Uh, it was pretty cool. Nice little pregame there. Let's get into our game time now. And as has been a fear, Jordan, ticket sales for UH football and volleyball are down considerably. Now, these are two money-making programs. Obviously, football, as is the case at many institutions, is the primary revenue feeder for the rest of the athletics department. But women's volleyball, uh, unlike many other places around the country, it is a major moneymaker here. Uh, in Hawaii. And so uh, those ticket sales, uh, nearly 20% decrease in renewals at this moment, same time as last year, uh, clearly impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and that's hit people very hard financially, as we all very much know, uh, has created much uncertainty, certainly as it pertains just to the upcoming college sports schedule. Uh, UH has soundly, and I think very rightfully so, announced that it is extending the due dates for these renewals. It's also planning to give back prorated refunds if any games uh, in the season ticket package are canceled or played without fans, which is another possibility here. How do you view these numbers, though? Uh, still in uh, the very late stages of June, and so, so still very much in the, in the dog days of summertime. Yeah, I mean, I think it's expected, right? And, and it almost seems inevitable that these numbers are just going to drop off. I mean, heck, we don't even know if the folks who purchase season tickets can even use them should they even play games. Like, we don't even know if they're going to be allowed in the arena or in Aloha Stadium uh, to go to these games. And it's, it's really unfortunate because if we were in normal times, uh, which I get we're a long ways from that. But if we were in normal times, these are two programs you would expect like a 20% bump off of last season because of all the accomplishments, right? 10 wins on the football field, a Hawaii Bowl victory. I get it, a coaching change, but there is a bit of an added excitement coming off a season like that. And then, of course, Robin Amo's greatest season so far since she's taken helm uh, for the Rainbow Wahine volleyball program, making it to the Sweet 16. And so that momentum, right? It's like, how do you capture that, right, from a marketing standpoint, from from a uh, athletic administration standpoint, I mean, they're, they're just up against something that, that nobody could prepare for. And so I applaud the university for doing what they're doing in terms of extending the deadline, offering a prorated refund and things of that nature. Uh, I, I do think they are doing the right things by the, the fans who have been so loyal when it comes to season tickets. 
Um, you know, I'd love to see maybe something value added. Hey, if you stick around, even if we can't get you games, we'll get you the refunds. But when we do get back in there, we'll, we'll throw something else to sweeten the pot or something like that, because there is a good relationship, I think, especially when it comes to Rohine volleyball, right? Those are diehards and even football, to be quite honest, those crowds haven't been big, but the folks who go, they're the same people every week who are out there tailgating and, and getting into Aloha stadium and making that thing still pretty loud for, for being half full. So hey, they're, they're up against it. I, I think it's inevitable. Um, and I think, though, the university is is handling it the right way. And, and hopefully people take a leap of faith and, and go ahead and purchase with the with the knowledge that, hey, if they don't play them, you know, you're, you'll get your money back. But uh, it is good to support uh, these programs in particular that, that help fund <laughs> the vast majority of that athletic department. Absolutely. And, and, you know, obviously a ton of institutions and athletic departments are going through this exact same thing. But for Hawaii, which is a program that annually struggles to meet the, the mark, right, budgetarily and, and, and get into the black, uh, this came, as as you alluded to, just about the worst possible time, right? Because you're right. There was a springboard, I think, potential based on the season that the football team had last year. And certainly Robin Amo continuing to seemingly build that program and, and improve in terms of the recruits coming in and the overall talent there. And so I think the expectations are raised. And usually with that, that raises the level of excitement, thus raises the level of interest in purchasing tickets they were hoping that this was going to be a bit more of a cash cow type of endeavor here, this 2020-2021 athletic year. So uh, they're going to have to fight against that now. Uh, but I, obviously, this is just an impact of the fact that people don't even know like when and where or how. It, it came at a bad time, but I do want to give credit to this athletics department led by David Matlin. I think that he has been extremely considerate and thoughtful in how to go about this process. There has not been, at least from the outside looking in, any kind of hasty decision-making. There has not been a rush to try to make this move or make this happen. He is taking his time and being very deliberate and obtain as much information on this pandemic as possible before making any firm decisions. And I think they understand, hey, look, we can open up the date and we can have a target date for when UH football gets back to work and that kind of thing. But all of that stuff comes with an asterisk, comes with a grain of salt uh, because it's continually changing and ebbing and flowing. And so uh, I give him credit because this is, hey, look, it's easy to lead when things are going well. When your football team's winning 10 games and your volleyball team's making the Sweet 16, it's easy to be a leader under those circumstances. This is the time where you are tested from a public perception standpoint. Uh, kudos to him thus far in dealing with what is just an impossible task uh, in trying to negotiate and navigate through this COVID pandemic. All right, we move on uh, to another standout Hawaii athlete, uh, Iolani alum Elena Oglavi, uh, headed to Stanford, but was named to the 21-player U.S. Junior National Team last week. She is an outside hitter on the volleyball court, will play for former UH assistant and current Pittsburgh head coach Dan Fisher for that U.S. Junior National Team. But a three-time Gatorade Hawaii State Player of the Year, Jordan, won gold at the FIVB Girls Under-18 Worlds in Egypt last year. Uh, you saw her in action a multitude of times, and so I actually will defer to you here on this because you can actually speak much more informed on just how good she is up close, in your opinion. Uh, Elena's amazing. Uh, she really is. Uh, you know, I've been covering it not as long as a lot of other folks uh, in our business here in Hawaii, but I, I've had the honor of, of calling you know, three of her state title matches and a number of her, her matches over the course of her career. She's as good. She's better than anybody I've seen. Um, from the time she was a freshman and, and led Iolani to their first state title in like two decades, uh, she was the best player on the floor. And, and for those in Hawaii, I think they're very familiar with how good girls volleyball is in this state. Uh, I mean, you're talking about every player of the year is, is starting like as a freshman at power five institutions. Um, you know, she didn't win the state player of the year this year um, by the local publication uh, just because they didn't make the state tournament because she was busy winning that gold medal in Egypt. Um, <laughs> it kind of cost the, the Iolani program some wins along the way. Uh, but I mean, you know, I, we're talking about players playing at USC and, you know, Lexis Akeo from Kamehameha who started immediately at Pittsburgh and has led them to their most success ever. Uh, Bailey Choi comes to mind in recent years. A lot of these are setters as well. A lot of these players are setters. Bailey Choi started immediately at Utah. Um, so, I, I mean, if, players of the year in Hawaii are, are legitimate. These are, these are all American-type players. And Elena's 
to me, better than, than anybody I have seen. She really can do it all. Even as a freshman, when she was taking like 40-something swings in the state championship match and, and won it there, um, all the talk was, yeah, she, she's great, right? But she's 5'9". Um, she's going to go play libero someplace. Uh, Stanford was her dream school. That's, that's where she's going to go. Uh, she was going to be kind of your typical Hawaii outside hitter, a little undersized on a national level, was going to tear it up locally. But when they moved on to the to the big-time college level when it came to volleyball, she'd probably play back row. She was going to be one of the best liberos. She's one of the best passers in the country. Um, but as she got older and started playing at a higher and higher level when it came to junior national teams, when it came to you know some of the USA volleyball pipelines, she was as good as any outside hitter in the country at five foot nine. You look at this this national team that she's pooled that she's in. There's seven outside hitters. Five of them are six two or taller. She's five nine. Uh, that's how good she is. She was the best player on that team that won the the under eighteen world championship last year in Egypt. Uh, and that's the luxury you can play her at outside hitter. If you need somebody to go in and pass nails, she can do that. Um, and so she she's just incredibly talented in every facet of the game and and I think we have learned that even at 59 she she'll hit she'll hit at the collegiate level she'll hit at the international level um you know and and as the game has grown taller and taller especially on the women's side uh, she'll be amongst giants she'll be amongst trees but I, I think she's proven it time and time again that that she's as good as anybody in the country when it comes to to hitting and swinging and she's not going to overpower she's so smart um, and I think anybody who enjoys volleyball, like her all around game, she can do it all. She, she really is that good. You could argue that she is maybe the best there has been to this point. And, and obviously her college career uh, story yet to be written, but it is pretty exciting to see someone uh, in that position uh, going to a program, which by the way, is the defending two-time national champs at Stanford. Uh, so the rich getting richer, but uh, best of luck to her. Uh, and very cool to just continue to see her career blossom. Also shouts to Kamehameha Jr. Devin Kahahavai, 6'3 outside hitter, uh, was named to the 20 player U.S. girls youth national team roster. Uh, we don't know when these teams are going to play. <laughs> There's a big question mark there. Uh, but just the fact that they are there and will hopefully garner some of that very valuable experience uh, should pay dividends for them in their careers. All right, we talked to a bit more of an expansive issue here. Major League Baseball, quite the 180 last week from MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred. We're talking percentages. And remember, last week he said he was 100% confident that a season will be played and then literally one day later expressed doubt as communications between the owners and the players' union have continued to be, let's say, choppy. Uh, the players have seemingly been united. They had the hashtag when and where that was trending where the players are basically saying, hey, look, we agreed to terms back in March on prorated salaries and all this stuff. So why don't you tell us when and where? When's the season going to start? Where's it going to be? But then when the commish proposed a 60-game season, the Players Association then proposed a 70-game season. And so they're at an impasse yet again. Latest discussions have reportedly included details uh, from the commissioner's office about whether or not uh, to move forward with the expansion of the playoffs and the universal DH issues, which were set to go into effect in 2021, if a fully proposed season isn't held here in 2020. He also mentioned termination pay for players released prior to opening day. So there's still some of this posturing here, Jordan. Where's your level of hope for an MLB season to actually occur as it currently stands? Well, I can say it was never 100%. Even when Rob Madford during the draft uh, the other week came out, I was, oh, we're going to play 100%. I was like, wait, 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 wait. wait. Not, not everything we've been hearing. I've always kind of felt it was 50-50 at best. Uh, and then, you know, and then he has to backtrack that immediately. Um, you know, the players propose 70 games, or, the, you know, the, the commissioner proposes 60 games. The players come back with 70 games. He rejects that, like, within, like, an hour. Uh, you know, so it's like, okay, well, what are these proposals for? Can we meet at 65? Does anybody for 65 games? Let's just cut it right in half uh, at that point. I don't know. I, it sounds like the players want to get back and play. Uh, a lot of the vocal ones, right? I mean, you, you brought it up, the, the, the when and where hashtag uh, just last week. I, I don't know. It, it seems that they are still just so far apart when it comes to the numbers um, in terms of finances. And, and you've get, you're getting reports that they're upward, what, like, close to 10, seven, eight, or something like that. Owners who, who would be just fine with, with washing their hands of it and saying, see you in 2021. And so if, 
if nearly a third of the ownership doesn't care or would prefer the league not come back, how are they on the same page? You know, obviously Rob Fadford's the voice for them. Um, the players, they're still a mixed bag, right? I mean, I, some of the big prominent ones, and, and we've seen it from guys like Mike Trout and whatnot that have, that have put that hashtag out there and say, hey, we'll just play, just tell us right at this point. Um, you know, I do think there is a, a little bit of gamesmanship from the players there, knowing that, hey, if, if they have a, a, a season dictated to them, that may be a little bit of a, a negotiating tool going forward, right, as opposed to a collectively bargained or at least agreed upon situation for 2020 and, and maybe even beyond as the, the players throughout there for, for the universal DH, the expanded playoffs. So every day it seems like, Hey, we're going to lob something back across the negotiating table. or We're going to, we're going to serve this out in social media and, and see who, who bites. I don't know. As a fan of the game, I'm not optimistic. If I had to put a number on it, I'd say it's less than 50%. We get back to playing baseball this calendar year. Yeah, you know, you talk about how far apart the two sides are, and at least argumentatively, it seems as though they are. But then when you look at the numbers, 60-game season versus 70-game season, <laughs> that's not a large number. And, and so you would think, well, why can't the commissioner just talk the owners into saying, how about we just slice that in half and we go 65 or 66 or something along those lines, and let's get a deal cut and agreed upon. Players are trying to make sure that they protect themselves. They're the ones that are putting forth the risk. They're the ones that want to get as many guaranteed game checks as possible. But it doesn't seem like that big of a number. We're talking about the discrepancy of 10 games for these proposed seasons. Like, somebody just slice it in half. Like, somebody just get it done, man up, and do this thing. But if you can't even come together on something like this, how the heck are you going to be able to cut a long-term, more comprehensive type of CBA deal? Uh, But the lingering effects... Where are the fans in all of this? What are they going to be thinking about Major League Baseball? How tuned out will they possibly be if there's not even a season played in any form here this year? All right, we move on to uh, UFC Fight Night. Uh, this was a really strange scene. Max Roshkoff quit on his stool in his fight this past Saturday with Austin Hubbard. Uh, Roshkoff, who was previously 5-0, and by the way, had taken the fight on just five days' notice. He was, however, taking a pretty good beating at the hands of Hubbard and then told his corner prior to coming out in round three that he wanted them to call it. And, in fact, you could hear, because there's no crowd, all the corner men are mic'd up, uh, you can hear his coach, Robert Drysdale, basically just declining to call it. And nine separate times, Roshkoff saying, hey, look, call it. I don't have it. I don't want to do this. Uh, Drysdale's a former Brazilian jiu-jitsu champ, UFC fighter, so it's not as though he is, you know, some uh, bum from off the street who's just working the corner. Uh, he knows what he's doing, but he refused to ask the referee to stop the fight. So Roshkoff basically told the ref himself, as the third round was to begin, that he was Paul. Uh, did Roshkoff's corner miss the mark on how that dialogue should have gone down, in your opinion, Jordan? Uh, yeah, completely. Um, you know, this, this, it's not a great look at all. This the second time in a while, or not that long, I should say, it, that we've had this conversation when it comes to mixed martial arts, you know, with the, the Glover Teixeira, Anthony Smith fight, but it was like second or third card back once the UFC resumed, and, and that was such a lopsided deal. Um, Anthony Smith never asked his corner to throw in the towel, but there was a big debate of whether they should have because of just how bad a beating he was taking. I mean, Glover Teixeira was apologizing to him in the ring or in the octagon while punching him in the face as his tooth went flying. Um, you know, and, but this was an instance of a fighter asking his corner to do just that. You know, and, and so when it comes down to that, and I know in combat sports it's all about bravado, right? And, and maybe in a different time, you know, as, as Drysdale said, right, he needed a, he needed a pep talk. That's, that's what he needed in that point. Um, but it's not like the fight was close. Um, you know, the reports were, I think Ariel Hawani said it, you know, every, all three judges had uh, the opponent winning the first two rounds, including the second round, which was a 10-8 round. And so there was no chance for Rashov to, to win that fight if he wasn't going to knock the guy out and he could barely defend himself. Uh, and so for a guy to say that nine times in this corner to just basically ignore him and try to talk him out of it, um, I, I just think it's so irresponsible. Like, and that's a huge black eye. For Drysdale, I think there's a huge black guy for the UFC uh, because this has become a huge conversation, as it should. Uh, but, yeah, I thought his corner just completely missed the mark. Uh, if a fighter says, man, I don't know if I have it, oh, go out there, come on, try this, maybe tactically try a different, make a couple of adjustments here, uh, that's a different conversation than, come on, you can go out there and do it, uh, especially when the guy tells you nine times that he's done. 
Uh, I would say if you if, if your fighter is telling you call it two three times if you you know try that first tactic of hey let's give him a pep talk get him back out there you know you're not done you're a champion you can do this reach down deep by the third time that he says no I'm done call it I feel like the corner man has to if he is saying he is that adamant about being done he's just going to go out there uh, and receive further damage and so uh, I, I think that's where. Uh, Drysdale, that's where his corner just missed the mark here. And as you mentioned, it just wasn't a good look and uh, just felt kind of Uji watching, to be honest. All right, so time now for our Domino's Hawaii main topping. Uh, and we got an interview with uh, my man Marcus Fuller, a fellow Iolani alum, sports writer for the Star Tribune in the St. Paul, Minneapolis area, covering basketball in the University of Minnesota. Also co-host of the One and Done Hoops podcast. Uh, so let's go and play that uh, interview right now. All right, Marcus, how's it going, man? I haven't uh, talked to you uh, except for over text messages and uh, direct messaging on Twitter, but I haven't talked to you and we're able to see each other here on this Zoom call. Uh, looking good, man. How you been? Uh, not bad. Not bad at all, Kanoa. I think uh, the last time we talked was down at the Maui Invitational. I keep wanting to say Maui Classic, but you know they changed <laughs> it to the Maui Invitational. It's always going to be the Maui Classic for us, right? But uh, what Richard Pitino, I'm covering the University of Minnesota. So Richard Pitino's first year with the Gophers back in 2013. Yeah, I can't played. believe how long ago that was already. I mean, it, it feels like it wasn't more than three years ago, but time is flying. Yeah, you know, I think with, uh, with the Gophers, it's been an up and down career for Richard Pitino. But at the same time, I remember that first year uh, like it was yesterday. Because, you know, I, I'd always wanted to go to the Molly Classic, never got to go in person. You know, we were always going, going to school at the time. and. Um, we had some pretty crazy tournaments, right, that we watched over the years. And just to attend that for the first time, I think that was, like, on my bucket list, you know. So, I got they didn't uh, they didn't make it past that first game. You know, they lost that first game. Um, I think it might, might have been the Baylor, but at the same time, just to be there. And they did it. They, get the, they got to play Chaminade. So, uh, that was also pretty cool. I go back with you to the Iolani days, and I just remember you with your nose inside all of the basketball publications and magazines, and you were always keeping very updated, pre-internet uh, age there, but very updated on, on everything hoops. And so uh, your level of interest was very obvious. And so I'm not surprised that this is where your career and, and life has taken you, but uh, what is your take on it? Well, you know, as, as uh, most athletes, right, when we're growing up, we want to continue playing as long as we can we uh, you know both of us were hoopers right so we dreamed of playing in the nba and all that good stuff and then once i saw cano once i saw your three-point shooting uh <laughs> i knew that i wasn't on that level but um <laughs> you're the steph curry before steph curry oh man guy, so. uh but no i you know i, I always kind of uh knew that i was going to do something in sports as you know i was a big stat junkie and you know, it kind of gone it gone full circle for me with the Elani Classic recently. Um, you know, the the Anderson twins from Elani, um, they're part Brad and Cord Anderson. They're part of the Elani Classic board uh, right now, and they they reached out to me knowing that I'm a sports writer, and uh, they wanted me to be a part of that, trying to kind of revitalize the tournament. You know, promote it a little bit more, kind of you know try to expand the exposure for it. Um, you know, beyond the, the, the teams that come in, you know, right. Obviously every year they got some nationally ranked teams, but so I was able to reach out, you know, we, we had a lot of ideas, but I was able to reach out to Bobby Hurley, who was in a uh, part of the classic in, in the eighties, um, you know, and, and uh, with his St. Anthony team from New Jersey, you know, some of the best high school teams of all time uh, were, were Bob Hurley's teams. Bob Hurley senior was, the, was a, was the head coach, his father, who's in the hall of fame, the national high school hall of fame. And obviously a legendary point guard for Duke and his son, Bob Hurley. So he's at Arizona State right now as the head coach. And as you know, as you said, I've covered college basketball for a long time. So I reached out to him and, you know, he was kind of re reminiscing about the days of the Yelani Classic and, and um, trying to think of the Yelani player at that time was the late 90s or late 80s. Uh, I think uh, Kanai Winchester might have been. That would be it. Yeah. yeah. He talked about him. Uh, he said this little Hawaiian guy dunking almost from the free throw line uh, in the dunk contest. So that was pretty cool. Um, but, you know, just kind of, like I said, full circle, uh, a lot of the stat junkie stuff that I was doing uh, started off with the Yelani Classic. I remember, um, you know, Mr. Young, uh, I remember being in his, in his office and, and kind of digging into those old Yelani Classic uh, media guides and then looking up, you know, former NBA players that I saw in the league at the time or college players that were 
you know, not that far removed from college basketball. And it just, it was amazed that to see the tournament uh, have that many top players in the history of it. So, you know, Mr. Young, uh, you know, let me keep a lot of those uh, media guides and I end up putting a list together that I think is still there today. So it was, it was pretty cool to be involved with the Aligning Classic again, because it, it's always a, it's a, it's a, it's a deep place in my heart uh, for that tournament. Cause I got to play in it, you know, obviously uh, always watched it growing up and really that, that kind of got started my love for basketball. You know, I, I remember seeing Jerry Stackhouse and, and uh, some of those players come through there when I was uh, just before high school and in high school. So I, you know, I, I think that's where it all started. Uh, my, my, my career in, in sports writing, you, you could say. Yeah. I mean, well, since you broached that subject, you, you mentioned Glenn Young, who basically ran that tournament by himself, like for the longest oh, yeah. of times. Sure. But yeah, I, my memory is also the, the first one that comes to mind, at least as, as far as being a player uh, was that year that Oak Hill came down and they had Jerry Stackhouse and they had Jeff McInnes who both went oh, on okay. to North Carolina um, I mean, just the, the names that came through there. I think Jacques Vaughn was in that tournament as well. Um, right. And just, just to goal. have the, those kinds of guys who projected to be NBA prospects and then actually became NBA stars in some cases, uh, there aren't too many tournaments that have that kind of reputation and legacy. And it continued to, you know, through obviously, I have a brother that went to Yelani, Matt, Matt Fuller. Uh, he got to play against Kevin Durant you know, and, and uh, some of those guys, Tyson Chandler, you know, and so it just continues to bring in top talent. And like I said, it, it came full circle with me interviewing Bob Hurley. You know, I, I hopefully they use the, they use that interview somehow in the online classic, but um, he talked about my sports writing career here in Minneapolis. So I went to college at San Jose state in the Bay area in California. Before I went there, I went to junior college for a couple of years and, you know, a lot a lot of people might think, wow, Iolani went to junior college. Well, I went to junior college because I was pursuing a college basketball career. You know, obviously in Hawaii, it's tough to get recruited in basketball. And, uh, you know, I had a plan to play Division One basketball. You know, I, I, was a, I, was, I was a starter at, at times at Iolani, but you know how Doc does it, man. He uses, he uses everybody. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I, 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 uh, I had a chance to go to, you know, junior college, and I started one year. My sophomore year, I ended up uh, had a had a major injury, tore my bicep muscle, and missed most of the season. So I had a couple looks, you know, Division two, Division three, but I had to decide right then and there. You know, um, my career basically, you know, was put on hold, or or I, I basically was going to give it up and pursue sports writing. So uh, fortunately for me, uh, I ended up at San Jose State, which is a great journalism school. Um, I was watching. Uh, you know, first take uh, this morning, and they had uh, the great Dr. Harry Edwards talking a lot about, you know, social injustice and, you know, what are the, what the athletes today are, are doing uh, to try to push that movement forward with racial equality. And, and Dr. Harry Edwards is a San Jose State alum. He was there around the time, you know, when, you know, Tommy Smith, you know, in the, in, in the 68 Olympics, you know, those sprinters, Speed City came from San Jose. And so there's a lot of history there, black history there, that when I got to San Jose State, I was humbled, you know, to meet some of these people. And, uh, of course, my college basketball career came to an end. But, you know, I, as you know, quickly, you know, when you stop playing organized, obviously, you can, con you can continue to cover it, you know, and still be a part of the game. And it's, it's, it's just kind of a blessing, right, for us to still be around college basketball or college sports, around professional sports, you know, because we're kind of living our dream that way you know we don't get to play but we're also right there with the coaches and the players and in these organizations so I think it was pretty neat that it started off my passion for sports writing when I was in San Jose and then it just continued from there um long way to Minnesota I know everybody asked me why how are you in Minnesota you're from Hawaii <laughs> well I had to find I had to pursue my career everywhere I could you know and, and it just led led me here my wife is from Minnesota born and raised here and my kids now are born and raised in Minnesota. Yeah. Marcus, um, you know, as you, uh, you kind of make your way to Minnesota, um, you know, what, uh, what was that move like? Uh, you know, as you mentioned, right. Hawaii to, to San Jose, California, not that drastically different. Uh, I would think, you know, in terms of lifestyle and climate and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, uh, the twin cities, it's a, it's a bit of a leap. So you're basically saying, did they have any L and L's out here? <laughs> <laughs> any plate lunches? Any plate yeah. lunches? 
<laughs> no, I couldn't find any plate lunches. They do have some in, in California, though. But so after college, uh, I was blessed to, uh, to to be a part of this uh, uh, Knight Ritter uh, rotating internship program. And they, Knight Ritter is no longer uh, exist, existing. But, you know, back then what they did is they had eight journalists from across the country. Um, it was basically like a scholarship program, but it was postgraduate. So right after I graduated from San Jose State, uh, they put me across the country. I went from uh, Fort Worth and Dallas, Texas, where I got to cover uh, the Cowboys a little bit, help out there, and cover Texas high school football. I mean, you know, Hawaii high school football is pretty competitive, but Texas, you know, is the king of all kings, right? I mean, you, you would go out probably 20, 30 minutes from downtown Dallas, and there'd be a, a high school football stadium that was $2 million football stadium, high school football stadium. You know, and, and, and the entire town was at the game. You know, that's all they had. That was like their Super Bowl, you know, when they played their rivals. So it was pretty neat to cover high school football in Texas. And obviously, a little bit of the Cowboys there got my taste of the of professional football. Um, as, as Kanoa knows, I'm a huge Hoops fan, so a junkie. So covering the NBA was always my dream. So my next stop during that program was in St. Paul, Minnesota, where I eventually worked again. But at that time, I told my boss, I said, you know what? I got to cover the NBA. I said, I'll do whatever you want to do. I'll cover uh, skiing. I'll cover snowboarding. <laughs> you know, I'm in Minnesota, right? He says, do you even have a winter coat? I said, no, I'll buy one. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll get whatever you need for me to get out there. So he's, he actually put me on the snow beat. This kid from Hawaii, from Yelani, and actually the Big Island, that's where I grew up, it ended up covering the snow beat. You know, and uh, I took it as like, hey, you know what? This is my first time, you know, with snow, skiing, snowboarding. Like I told the, the Minnesota State Association that I was a newcomer and like, I'm going to cover this as this is my first time. So they thought that was pretty cool. They, th they thought that was pretty refreshing. But I did get to cover the NBA with the Timberwolves. And that was always my dream. So I did that for a few months. You know, that's back, obviously. Uh, I think that was Yao Ming's rookie year so I got to see him come to, to, to the Timberwolves you know KG was there I mean KG one interview I was talking to him and uh, I'm a big you know KG right out of high school around the same time right to the pros so I'm, I'm talking to him about Chicago and back when he was playing he, and he grabbed me and he put my head in a, he put me in a headlock while I'm interviewing him. <laughs> he's like so what, what do you know about Chicago son <laughs> you know <laughs> He was, I couldn't believe what's happening. I'm like, what's going on here? This is KG got me in a headlock. What am I going to do? <laughs> but uh, it was, you know, uh, again, it was a dream come true. Um, you know, this kid from Hawaii that uh, really I got my first experience in any kind of sports writing was with the Honolulu Advertiser uh, helping them out with the Pro Bowl. And, um, you know, that was my first experience with sports writing and also my first experience around professional athletes. So to, to finally do that. Um, you know, eventually I went back to St. Paul. I worked in Kansas City for a little while, but eventually I went back to St. Paul and I worked for 10 years um, until I ended up at Minneapolis. So, you know, it's a long way from Hawaii, but at the same time, you know, like I said, we all got the dream. And if you keep pushing toward that dream, you know, I tell kids all the time, like, yeah, we're still young, right? Kanoa, Jordan, we're still young, but, you know, we, we say kids, you know, we mean the college kids now, it's crazy. But um, I tell them all the time, you know, if you have a dream and you think about it and you're exactly where you, you, you think you, you will be at that time, 10 years later, then you got to dream bigger, right? I mean, like you just, you do. I mean, if I think I was dreaming of, of covering uh, the NBA in California or covering college basketball in California because that's where I went to school. I would have never thought I would be in Minnesota. I'd, I Sometimes I sit at bed at night thinking I'm, I'm in Minnesota, man, <laughs> you know? It's, it's 30 degrees below zero outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's an incredible story, man, Marcus. Uh, how would you compare uh, covering the NBA for a bit and, and now covering uh, college hoops and, and just some of the differences in, in, in your experience? But I think, it, you know, it, it translates pretty well. You know, back when we, uh, we could play uh, the video games, right? It, you know, the, the college video games, they took that – it's been shoot. It's been over probably over the decade now that we've had we haven't had college you know video games. But remember, you used to be always have the college video game, right? Was it NCAA 2K or whatever it was, and, and you could draft those players into the NBA, right? Remember we were able, we were able to do that. I felt like when that game went by the wayside, 
like college basketball for some reason for the like the real the real young generation it was hard for them to have that connection you know we got madden you got nba video games so i think you know when you we say college basketball they really had to reinvent themselves you know about 20 years ago you know and i think what helped them obviously was a lot of the guys that were able to come straight out of high school to the nba when they did away with that rule it actually helped college basketball so you see you, you see a lot of these superstars these future all-stars you see them as freshmen you see them as sophomores you know we remember kevin durant in college remember blake griffin in college you remember kyrie irving and a lot of these guys that would have went straight to high from high school to the NBA, and so I think that made college basketball a lot more exciting. You know, during the, my career as a sports writer, I remember covering Gray Golden, you know, at Ohio State, you know, for one year, and he went to the championship game, and he was, you know, the number one pick in the draft, and there was all this hype around him. You know, he was going to be the next David Robinson or a great center in the NBA. Obviously, he was a flame out because of injuries, but at the same time, you know. Getting to see these guys at that level in college for one or two years, I think, like I said, helped grow the college game. And it's going to be sad here in a few years when that actually it goes back to kids going straight out of high school to the NBA. But at the same time, they, ha- they need to have that opportunity. What do you think about then the prospects of college athletes being able to profit off of their likeness? Uh, they would basically be able to make money via sponsorships on the side, like what you see from USA Olympic athletes in many instances. Uh, what is your take on that and what that impact may have on the college game? You know, I think that uh, it's obviously a, a long time discussion that has finally, you know, taken the next step. You know, obviously having the NCAA on board was huge, but also you have politicians, right? They're getting involved. You know, um, here in Minnesota, uh, the senator here, you know, he made a statement back in October when he followed California's governor and saying that, hey, we want to put this into law. You know, we want to put it into law that athletes can, you know, profit off their name, image, and likeness. So I don't think it was a matter of if, uh, it was just a matter of when. Now it's about trying to figure out exactly how this is going to be put into practice because you're going to see, obviously, the high profile sports teams and athletes get, you know, the biggest, uh, you know, advertisements and, you know, getting the biggest promotion. So how do you keep those athletes from becoming too big for the university? Right. That's what they're thinking right now. The university is saying, Oh, well, are they taking money away from us that we could be making? Right. Uh, I think there's a way for, for both the athlete and the university to, to both profit you know, from partnerships with companies within your city, state, um, region. Um, and I think it's a long time coming. You know, I, there's a lot of things that the, they took away from the athletes. You know, one of them, like I said, was for college basketball, was going straight out of high school to, to the pros where you can make some money. And so I think you, they need to give stuff back to the athletes. But I really do think the pandemic is, re, is really getting the NSA an opportunity with a lot of the competition not being played. You know, they've been talking about a lot of things that they need to change. You know, obviously with what happened here with George Floyd in Minneapolis, um, the NCAA, the Big Ten, what I cover, they're rethinking a lot of how they're, uh, you know, dealing with racial issues, uh, having athletes have a voice and what kind of impact they can make in their communities. And also what, you know, diversity needs to happen when it comes to hiring at the, at the college level. So I think there's a lot of things going on right now, but name, image, and likeness, that'll be an interesting one because it's so complicated. Yeah, you know, you kind of established an automatic segue here because what we're referring to is this seismic, almost cultural shift within the construct of college sports. We're also seeing that outside of sports. We're seeing that on a societal level. Uh, We're seeing that with some of the civil unrest that has transpired here over the last few weeks. And it really started, it really combusted as a result of something that happened in your city, right? And you mentioned the murder of George Floyd and just how, how horrific that was. And that seemed to be the trigger to what we are now seeing, which is maybe a more impassioned and inspired fight on the part of the people of this country to establish systemic change 
to a degree that we've never really seen before, at least not collectively. You're seeing people of all different backgrounds and colors coming together, uh, particularly uh, from this younger generation that has found its voice. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, because you're at the epicenter of it. Mi Minneapolis is unfortunately where this thing began, at least in the form of, of what we're witnessing. What has been your reaction to it? How much has it hit you uh, emotionally and otherwise? Well, yeah, I'm glad you brought up emotionally because, you know, I think we, we spoke, right, uh, a few weeks ago. And at that time, you know, I, I, I love you, Kano, but, you know, I didn't know whether I could talk about it, you know. Um, you know, the, publicly, obviously, you know, we deal with it all the time. You know, questions are asked. Um, especially as a journalist, you know, like, okay, what are you comfortable covering? You know, uh, there's no sports going on right now. So a lot of our sports staff, you know, had to go to the news side and help cover, uh, you know, the, the aftermath of George Floyd's murder. Um, we had people on the streets. We had people at, at the protests, you know, obviously, unfortunately, some of my colleagues, you know, were arrested. You know, some of them were, were hit with, with, with pellets, you know, um, from the police. You know, I, I think that the tear gas, you know, I mean, it, it, it was at a level that none of us have experienced, right? We're, we're too young to, to know what the civil rights movement and how that happened during, the, you know, the 60s. You know, obviously we, we, we experienced Rodney King when we were, uh, you know, watching that on TV when we were young, but we were separated from that, right? So I think that, that was what hit me the most is not only, um, you know, seeing the horrific death of George Floyd, you know, happen, you know, and we were all watching it, right? The video, yeah, I couldn't watch it all. I couldn't watch the whole thing. You know, I couldn't, I, I, I broke down and I couldn't watch the whole thing because I've seen it before, you know, we've seen this happen before, but to know it was in my own city, you know, and, and a few years ago, you know, Philando Castile, um, you know, he was, you know, he was shot and killed in his car, you know, and, 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 you know, no weapon at all, you know, and, and at that time that happened right before the college basketball season. And so I had to go to media day and I asked direct questions to coaches, to athletes, you know, are you afraid, you know, it happened in Minneapolis. Are you afraid as athletes to live in Minneapolis? You know, as young black athletes, are you afraid? And they said, yes, you know, we don't know. We're going out and being stopped by police. We don't know what's going to happen because of the color of our skin. So that was three years ago. So when this happened again, I think part of it is, yes, we can no longer sit back and accept that when this happens, you know, it's part of our everyday lives, you know. It's, it's, it's not, I mean, it's wrong. You know, it's wrong. We cannot accept it. You know, even me as a black man, you know, I grew up in Hawaii. When people see me, they don't really see that, right? They don't know my background. Um, you know, we both, we didn't grow up around a lot of black people, right? We just didn't. I mean, Iolani, what we had like a handful. <laughs> We're all on the basketball team. So <laughs> I remember, I got to share this one story with you. Um, it was a uh, sophomore year and, um, I was in the bathroom and just so happened your boy, Micah, uh, Micah, Micah Banton, Banton. He walked in, right? Just randomly now, just random. And, and then, and then Derek, my, my teammate and classmate, class of 97, Derek Christensen, he walked in at the same time. It was not planned. Okay. So then uh, a teacher walks in and, you know, I love you line. No knock on Yelani. People are ignorant. Sometimes they just say things. Uh, immediately they thought they say oh what's going on is something going on here you know they they thought something was actually going down in the bathroom because we had you know three i think of the five black guys on campus were in the bathroom at the same time <laughs> you know what i mean i mean but it's just i, I it was a joke one of the teachers was joking but we, we were you know after he left we were kind of thinking like come on now you know what i mean but so i think that people see me they see me see a black a black man they think okay once they learn i'm from hawaii wasn't around and all a lot of black people, they might think, okay, is this guy really black? You know what I mean? I got that lot growing up. Well, okay, I had a different experience growing up. You're right. My experience growing up was definitely like an islander, right? I mean, like I'm one of you guys, Kamaaina. When I got to California, what do you think the police saw when they saw me? You know, like every other black man. You know, I got stopped in college. My first month in college, I got stopped four times all for ridiculous reasons, not for speeding. You know, one of the, one of the, the reasons was I didn't have my seatbelt on. I was actually still in the parking lot. Okay. I hadn't even turned on my car and he said, I didn't have my seatbelt on. He pulled me over after I turned out of the parking lot, pulled me over 
And we had a long conversation for about 45 minutes. I told him, you know, I'm on my way to cover a baseball game. It was actually, I think, uh, University of Hawaii was there. And he's like, oh, I'm a huge baseball fan. You know, I, I, I love baseball. And then after we had that conversation, I said, you know, I'm going to be late covering this game. He says, oh, yeah. Can I search your car for drugs? Yeah. And I said, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? He says, no, I, I, can we search your car for drugs? And then a lo- another police car pulled up. And wow. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't know what to do. You know, I was like freaked out because I, I didn't know what was going to happen. But I knew my rights. And I said, no, if you don't, have a, you don't have a right to search my car. You know, he says, well, we could. You know, we could if we, if we thought that, you know, we have cause for do, to do it. We could. And I said, no, you don't have a right to do that. Please allow me to leave. You know, and, and he did. So, you know, I, I wrote a column in the San Jose State School newspaper about driving while black or brown. And that was 20, 20 years ago, you know. Uh, it's still going on, obviously. And that's why when George Floyd died, every black man in the city, <clears throat> including myself, we felt like it could have been us. And then also I went and talked to my kids about it because it's not something that you can avoid anymore. You know, your kids have to know. They ha- you have to have that conversation with them. And I went out to a, a peaceful protest in my, my, my town here in Stillwater, Minnesota, which is right on the border of Minnesota and Wisconsin. And we saw a bunch of pro- protesters, Black Lives Matter signs, you know, and, and my kids just seen that. I think it just, it was incredible for them to see that. There were so many people supporting them. You know, didn't, they didn't look like them, but they were supporting them. And I, I think that's, like you talked about, the younger generation, you know, the future, I think has, there's a brighter future because of that. We appreciate you sharing, Marcus. And, and you know, you, you talk about, you know, covering the athletes in this time as well. I, I was kind of curious, just the dynamic of the Twin Cities area, because it is uh, one of the rare cities where there, there really is, you know, every major sport, um, heck, the MLS, WNBA on top of that, the University of Minnesota is a major college town uh, in terms of a Power Five athletic program. Uh, just the dynamic and maybe the importance and influence uh, of different teams because it is such a large landscape. And, and I don't know if it's more of a college town or more of a pro sports town, but and how that sort of has reflected and manifested in the influence of, of some of these prominent figures uh, to, to speak out and, and to keep this movement going. Yeah, I think that, you know, you talked about the University of Minnesota. Um, when I got here, um, it was all about uh, football, you know, Big Ten football. And, um, you know, obviously, P.J. Fleck uh, is a coach that, you know, took college football by storm <clears throat> even before he got to the University of Minnesota. We, when he was at Western Michigan, went undefeated. And he was kind of one of the hottest young coaches in America. And right at that time, there was a coaching change here. And so when they hired him, he brought his message. He has a roll-the-boat message here that is just taking the, the, over the entire state. I mean, Minnesota, Twin Cities is a, is a big area, but outstate Minnesota is what we call it. Um, there are a lot, there's a lot of rural towns, and they're all go for football fans. He's able to bring everybody together. But, but also, P.J. Fleck has a big national presence. You know, I mean, he's on, he's in Sports Illustrated, you know, he's in the New York Times, he's on ESPN, you know, he was on First Take um, being interviewed, you know, he's, he's everywhere. So I think, you know, PJ Fleck using his voice, you know, when after George Floyd's, uh, the aftermath of George Floyd's death, you know, talking about what his team has done, what he's doing with his players, you know, he's honest. He says, hey, I'm a white coach. You know, I had to tell my players, you know, help me understand what you're going through because I never will. You know, before Nick Saban at Alabama and a lot of these top, you know, programs across the country and their coaches spoke out about what was going on in Minneapolis and George Floyd, P.J. Fleck was on national television talking about it. You know, at the same time, you know, a lot of our athletes, like I said, the, the Minnesota Lynx, they've been speaking out about, you know, social injustice and police brutality back when, uh, you know, uh, Philando Castillo died. You know, they were on, on TV you know, they had shirts talk about Black Lives Matter, you know, and, and, you know, at that time, they were speaking out about police brutality. You know, some of the police that were uh, security guards, they walked out on them. You know, I mean, there was a, there was a distrust there uh, between the police and, 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 and the, our professional sports team here, the Minnesota Lynx. Um, this year, the University of Minnesota, um, they ended up uh, dropping their contract with the Minneapolis Police Department. So what does that mean for sports? Well, they're not using the Minneapolis Police Department for their football games. 
Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's just a big deal, I think, for, for athletes, athletics, and these sports organizations to get involved because, you know, not only, like I said, do they have a presence here locally, but, you know, around the country. You know, people looked at Minnesota first. You know, what is, what is, what is, what is Minnesota going to do? What are the, the athletes there going to do? The media is part of the problem in some ways. You know, I've talked to migrant organization about, uh, we're trying to talk about how we portray, um, you know, black people in the media. You know, a lot of times um, you see mug shots and, and things like that, you know, more of, uh, you know, blacks than you do of any other uh, race, you know. So then it kind of warps your sense of, you know, identity, you know, of, of when you see a, a black mug shot, you know, you immediately assume, okay, this guy's guilty. This guy, you know, he, he did something wrong. He's in trouble, you know, and, and should we do that for athletes moving forward? You know what I mean? That's a big question. Um, if the guy's arrested, that doesn't necessarily mean he's, char- he's, 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 he's uh, convicted of a crime, right? Um, but a lot of times you see if an athlete gets arrested, immediately they put his mugshot on the front page of the paper or they put it, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a major part of the headline of the story. And so those are things that we're continuing to talk about as media here covering athletes. But at the same time, you know, it's great to see uh, that Minnesota was at the center not, of not only, again, um, some of the good that they're doing here uh, with the donating and some of the things, but also part of the process of change and some of the things that they can do to, 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 to move it forward. Well, Marcus, uh, we can't thank you enough. We were supposed to keep this to like 20, 25 minutes, but we've gone way over. But it's only because it has been riveting uh, talking with you. And, and I, I, I just am really appreciative of uh, your sharing, uh, the level of, of your uh, emotional response to everything that we've seen. Uh, and it's just good in general to catch up with you. So I, I would like to end on just one little bit lighter note because I know you're a basketball freak. Uh, so just give me your all-time starting five in the game of basketball. Oh, man. <laughs> Well, I just had this conversation with my 10-year-old the other day. And, you know, it's funny because everybody's, you know, in the Steph Curry, LeBron James, you know, that generation, they think those are the GOATs, right? They don't understand. Although I think this generation is appreciating Michael Jordan more and more, you know. But to me, they lose Will Chamberlain. They lose Bill Russell. They lose, you know, a lot of the greats um, that have played the game and they have, they have, that have kind of set the tone for, for all these players to come, you know. and one guy that I'm, I'm just going to – I'll give you my starting five, but then I'll say one guy that's the most underrated player, I think. Okay. And I think it's Dr. J. I just saw a, a segment the other day on Dr. J's career, and, and there would be no Michael Jordan if it wasn't for Dr. J. He was an amazing player that wasted – not wasted, but his, his best years were in the ABA. Mm-hmm. But he, my starting five would definitely be – obviously, you start with Michael Jordan as my GOAT. But at the same time, I'm, I'm actually not on the board with, with LeBron James being that close to, to Michael just yet. Um, I call him Michael, MJ. You know, I, I think Magic Johnson is that number two for me. Um, I think the impact that he made on the NBA as a 6'9 point guard, all-time leader in assists, you know, Showtime era, Lakers. I can watch those videos all day. You know, him going down on the break, doing the no-look passes to Kareem for the dunk, Byron Scott. I mean, those are some – Probably the most exciting team maybe in NBA history. Am I, am I wrong? No, Showtime Lakers. I mean, yeah. the name says it all, right? And then uh, LeBron James, you know, he would be uh, my, my small forward in there. Um, and then the big men, you know, I have a hard time putting power forwards in there. I got to go with two centers. And for me, it would be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and, 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 and Will Chamberlain. Um, I just think Will, um, to me, he should have been the logo. Like, really. You know, uh, I love Jerry West, but, you know, Will Chamberlain should, should have been the logo because he was the most dominant player of all time. And, uh, you know, Kareem, again, you cannot discount six championships. You know, I mean, Michael Jordan has six, Kareem has six. Kareem is the all-time lead scorer of all, you know, and, and, and obviously the, the sky hook is one of the most unguardable shots of all time. And to me, so Kareem and, and Will, and you got obviously um, in LeBron, Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan. So not not bad, right? I mean, I, that's a solid I I five. Okay on that. That's definitely yeah. a solid five. I knew I could count on you for the breakdown on that topic. <laughs> I just absolutely knew it. Uh, Marcus, thanks again, man. Thanks a lot. Thank a lot. you, man. All right, big thanks to Marcus. Uh, great conversation, uh, and it was good catching up with him for sure. Let's go ahead and take a break when we come back. Our post game best and worst. For our listeners on the Valley Isle, the Maui Flag Football League is on this summer, starting as early as July first. 
The MFFL is a youth flag football league for boys and girls ranging in age from 3 to 18, broken up into divisions of seven different age groups representing five districts, upcountry, Wailuku, Kahului, Kihei, and Lahaina. The goal of the MFFL is to teach the game of football without the worry of violent contact, concussions, or weight cutting. It's all about having fun, being active, and making new friends while reinforcing important values like teamwork, perseverance, and respect for your fellow players and coaches. For more information on the Maui Flag Football League, please call 808-280-7513 or email mauiflagfootball at gmail.com and get signed up. All right, back to the show. All right, Jordan, time for our post-game best and worst. What is your worst here for this episode of the podcast? Yeah, I'm going to go uh, a little lighthearted on this one. For some, it might be the best, but, uh, you know, we've, we've been getting a lot of um, overseas live sports coverage, whether it's European soccer, whether it's New Zealand rugby, um, because, uh, you know, American sports networks are looking to fill time, right? They're looking for live sports. Uh, the other one, FS1's picked it up. I don't know if, I think ESPN might as well, but Australian rules football. Uh, I have no idea what's going on. So the rules to me are the worst because I, I have, I'm trying to figure it out as we're going. I don't know if you've seen some of this Aussie rules uh, football footy, as they call it down there, but they play it on like an oval. Um, there are four goalposts. There seemingly are 35 to 40 people per team on the field. Uh, it looks like some combination of rugby, soccer, and like capture the flag, I think. I was watching a game the other night, and I was just completely flabbergasted. There's like a menagerie of things going on. I have no idea what's going on. It's fascinating to me. Uh, but trying to understand the rules, man, and I get it. We're in America, right? We have baseball, which if you try to explain baseball to somebody who has no idea what's going on, it'd take you an entire season. Uh, so don't get me wrong. I understand where, where we're coming from, from the Americanized view of sports. But man, Australian rules football, it is wild. My worst, a little heavier. Uh, NASCAR is investigating an incident where a noose was found in the garage of driver Bubba Wallace. Uh, Bubba has obviously been outspoken about his support for the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, one of, if not the primary reason that NASCAR decided to ban the presence of the Confederate flag at its events. Uh, NASCAR holding a Cup Series race at the Talladega Super Speedway today. It was postponed from Sunday due to weather. Uh, racing icon Richard Petty traveled to Alabama as a show of public support for Wallace. Uh, now, access to those garages are extremely limited, as you can imagine. And so you wonder if this is a quote-unquote sort of inside job, uh, so to speak, from another racing team or whatnot. These idiots who ha were hanging outside of the track, there was a demonstration where they were waving the Confederate flag. There was a banner that contained the Confederate flag that was flown overhead. Uh, and so, you know, the symbolism of the Confederate flag seems pretty clear. And I think the problem now is nobody's even trying to hide it. Like there's no nuance behind it. Uh, you have NASCAR making this announcement and the clapback is the most symbolically racist gesture that you can imagine. And so uh, it's disappointing. Uh, Bubba Wallace, I think, has served as quite an inspiration under these circumstances. And it's pretty cool to see one of the OGs Richard Petty coming to his defense and, and saying that he's got his back. And so that's a good part of what I believe was uh, maybe the worst thing that I saw here uh, as uh, a run up to this episode. Yeah, it's about as bad as it gets, right? Um, I mean, it's just absolutely uh, reprehensible. Uh, I, I do hope that NASCAR is ready to, to act, right? Because banning the Confederate flag is one thing, dealing with the pushback of that and truly fighting uh, for some equality and, and social justice is another thing because they're going to get that right from, from the outside. And it looks like maybe from the inside as well, whoever had access to the garage. And I, I, I'd hope they'd, they conduct some sort of investigation, but you know, it's, it's one thing to be like, Hey, great NASCAR banned the flag. Uh, but that's, that's not going to get taken with, uh, with applause by the folks who still want to fly that flag. So they, they're, they're in for, they're in for, for a bit of a battle and, and I hope they're up for it. Yeah, and I think the problem is their motivation for still wanting to fly that flag uh, seemed pretty overt and obvious here at this point, and that's disappointing. All right, let's get to the good stuff. What's your best here for this show? Yeah, I got to give a shout-out to uh, Kinke Kalike Jr., uh, well, I guess rising senior now that we're actually in the summer. Uh, Tiani Arakawa was named the uh, Gatorade State Soccer Player of the Year, uh, helped lead them to their best-ever finish. Uh, state runners-up lost uh, – by a goal in the state championship match. Uh, a lot of people thought that they were the best team there. Uh, didn't quite win the tournament. 
but she's terrific. Uh, two-time MIL, Maui Interscholastic League Player of the Year. Really good player. One of the best I think we'll see come out of the state next year uh, as a senior. So uh, congratulations to Tiani winning the Gatorade Player of the Year uh, from a neighbor island school and a school that didn't win the state championship. Uh, that's that's kind of rare. Uh, so pretty cool to see. Yeah, she's really talented. We definitely uh, want to second that motion from my end here. Uh, good call there. All right, my best is Tua Tonga-Vailoa announced the establishment of a $300,000 scholarship fund at his alma mater, St. Louis. Uh, he's also given out four other scholarships over the next four years. The scholarships are named in the honor of his grandparents. Uh, and I guess it's just an opportunity for us to once again marvel at just how this guy is handling this superstar thing. He has handled it with absolute class, and I think a lot of that can also be credited to Marcus Mariota for sort of laying the blueprint down. Uh, these St. Louis gentlemen have certainly exhibited every part of that. Uh, I think it's pretty amazing. He has performed and conducted himself in a very righteous and classy way, uh, and so more power to him, man. Yeah, you know, Tua's doing an amazing job. I think, you know, those in the, the local sports media industry can be accused sometimes of being a little too cheerleadery when it comes to, to covering our uh, our big time athletes but it's hard not to right because this especially this new generation which I think has taken the baton from from the previous generation of professional athletes whether it's Tua whether it's Marcus heck we just talked to DeForest Buckner who has done so much in his community uh, here in Hawaii just last week they, they really do an amazing job of giving back uh, and so uh, you know it, it's hard not to to talk these guys up in such a positive light because uh, I, I do think it's truly deserved. All right. Well, thanks once again to Marcus Fuller for jumping on with us. Been fun, Jordan. Uh, we'll do it again here very shortly. See you then, buddy. Can't wait.